If you're ready to start bringing in money from your band, you've got your skills all sorted out, well, you got to start treating your band like a business. Today's guest is going to talk about doing just that. Welcome to episode seven of Behind the Band, a podcast where we help you grow your music career by talking with awesome artists and people from the industry. Hey, my name is David Ryan Olson. If we haven't met, I run Evergreen Records, where we are all about helping artists like you grow. And super pumped you've decided to join us today. Before we jump in, just wanted to say if you are releasing music in the future, I would love to help you make your next release the best music release of your life. We've put together a half-hour workshop called Rock the Release that's all about helping you just plan and promote your next release so you have maximum success. Going to cover proven strategies for getting on playlists and blogs and shared by key influencers so that you can get more streams and build a strong music career. So just go to evergreenrecords.com workshop to sign up for Rock the Release. So today's guest is Nick from the Talbot Brothers, and these guys are awesome. I love the music they do, but also I really like them as people and as business owners. We can all learn a lot from Nick's business savvy. They got their start just doing the music thing as brothers, but then they decided we want to do this as a career, and their story is pretty great. Real excited to share their story with you. So without further ado, let's jump in with my conversation with Nick Talbot of the Talbot Brothers. All right, I am here today with the one and only Mr. Nick Talbot. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, good to have you here. So Nick, you are a member of the Talbot Brothers. I am. I am one half of the brothers, the older half. Uh, first question, where did you get the name from? No, you know, we thought really hard about it. Actually, when we grew up, I uh, grew up in Nebraska and we would play places people couldn't remember who we were like telling us apart and so they would just call us like the Talbot brothers or like the Talbot boys or whatever Yeah, and we kind of just rolled with that. We tried like a different band name I think once and it always came back around to the Talbot brothers so we're like okay. The brother thing is uh, part of the appeal. Yeah, there's like absolutely no brother bands either. So it was really unique when we thought about it. You know, when I first started like describing you guys to other people, it's like, they're kind of like the Avit brothers in the sense that they're brothers, but like, <laughs> they're not. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of brothers that are in bands that don't have the name brothers in it. Yeah. And then there's a lot of bands that has the name brothers in it and they're not related. We always get asked if we're real <laughs> brothers. Yes, we are. <laughs> Backing up just a little bit, uh, tell us your story. Yeah, we uh, basically started playing music when we were really young in Nebraska. We'd play everywhere that they let us, you know, church, coffee shops, bars. Tyler and I went to different colleges in Nebraska and and started playing on the weekends, um, just kind of in the region, in the Midwest. And eventually, we just didn't go back to class. We booked a tour from <laughs> Omaha to New York City back in like 2013 or 2012 and didn't even have a CD, didn't even have an album or any music recorded. And, and we basically like threw some songs together in a cabin in Nebraska on a lake, took that on the road with us, played like 15 shows. It was the worst tour that we've ever done. Um, we booked it ourselves. We had no knowledge of like how to be on the road and like how to advance a show or how to like correspond over email with, with people like, correctly and the tour bombed but we like we were certain that that's what we we're supposed to do mm. like it felt really really good to be on the road and like learning as we went and we basically got back from that tour completely exhausted i don't think we made any money and just like could not wait to get back on the road and we're like all right let's make a record we like wrote a bunch we had some songs and started playing everywhere that we could and basically decided Nebraska's great, but we needed to move. And our mom was born in Portland, but we'd come out here just by luck, landed Edgefield, McMinimins. They had a Oktoberfest there in like 2014. We actually said no, because it was like, <laughs> we're in Nebraska and we're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't think we can like justify driving out there and like playing this show. And I called a buddy of mine and 
he was like, wait, McMinniman's asked you to come play? And I was like, yeah, I don't even know what that is. And he's like, call him back, tell him you're going to do it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So I emailed her back and I was like, hey, actually, you know, we'll make it work. And she's like, all right, cool. And so we booked like three shows, I think, to get out there. And as soon as we played, it just felt, it felt really good to be out here. It felt kind of like it's where we were supposed to be with community and everything. And so we decided to move out here and now we hardly play here, but this is where we're based. <laughs> Just for a little bit of context, if you're not from the Northwest, uh, McMinimins, they own a bunch of different properties uh, and venues around the Northwest. So if you can get on good terms with them, they'll get you a lot of shows in a lot of different cities around the Northwest. It's cool because it gives bands that are unknown a lot of exposure. Like a lot of the shows are free. And so like people just come and hang out and they have like a resort style set up. So like people will come for the weekend and stay at the hotel in the venue yeah, and like eat at the restaurant. There's a bar for us. We had like no idea uh, what that was. So we did their circuit a few times just to kind of like build up uh, a little bit of notoriety out here and then decided like, okay, these guys are great. Like let's play some ticketed shows and like, let's get people excited. So they're fun. So you guys are growing up. You're both getting into music. It was it just like, okay, we're going to be playing music together just by default, by virtue of the fact that your brother's similar age, all that, or was there ever like an intentional, we're going to start doing music together? Yeah, that's a good question. We, I think just kind of fell into it. We discovered our dad's love of music. Like our parents always played music in the house growing up. And uh, we found his old acoustic guitar once in like the basement untouched for years stumbled across all this old classic rock and and country and like johnny cash records and just stuff like that and so tyler and i started to feel like this passion for music and performing and so i think when we we realized that that's what we wanted to do we kind of were intentional about it but saying like you know we don't have a plan b like this is what we're going to do. And that was a really scary place to be, especially for our parents. Cause like, they're like, what are you doing with your life? Right. Get back in college. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> now we're dropping out of college. We're going to like join a rock and roll band and <laughs> you know, the whole stereotype. And so we, we were pretty intentional about it. Um, when we booked that first tour and saying like, we'll be able to tell if this is right. This tour is kind of the test. If it doesn't work, then we'll do something else. You were playing some locally, but like you just decided just to jump in big yeah i mean we played a lot of bars and stuff in the region and basically um kind of honed our craft a little bit there and then like yeah we, we were like okay it's cool to play where you're at because people will always like come out and support you but what does that look like in other states and other cities and so the only way for us to learn and test that was just to leave and and basically risk it it was scary and it sucked we played a lot of rooms with like three people yeah you know yeah. And one of them was a sound guy. So it's like, <laughs> it was good for us though to have that pushback and to like grow from that. Cause I think you learn so much in the process rather than, you know, nothing against like the voice or American Idol, but you see these people come in who maybe have never played a show or gone on tour, but they're incredibly talented. And so they get in front of these people and like, you know, they perform and it's great. And then if they win or whatever, you know, they, advance on and suddenly they're on these arena tours and they're doing all this this stuff that they didn't really like climb the ladder to get there so i feel like part of you might miss out on the growth and like the pains and the negative side if i had won american idol i might be saying something different but for us it was always really important to like use our midwest work ethic and just hammer it out and like fail and be okay failing and be okay with like the really shitty side of things too like we're still doing that we're still learning but it's definitely cool to look back and see where we started and to see where we are now it makes you appreciate it i think a lot more too that's really great one thing that i just noticed in that story is that even from like an early age even if you're just kind of feeling things out on that first tour playing around town for you guys it was always like we want to see what this is like actually doing this yeah. And it was it was never just like a well, you know, I'll I'll play a couple of shows at the the local <laughs> dive bar on the weekend and maybe we can get a couple free beers. It was something that 
for, even from like early on, you were just like, okay, we're going to commit to this. Yeah, we had a passion for it. And I think we kind of told ourselves it had to be all in. You know, we, we didn't want to like, we didn't want to half asset. We wanted a full asset, you yeah. know, as Ron Swanson said. Yeah. <laughs> but we basically, basically put all our eggs in one basket and said, you know, we're going to work at it. We know it's going to be hard. But um, we also didn't grow up in a place that had a lot of community, like with the music side and so we didn't really know what it looked like so we were kind of just taking a stab in the dark when when it came to like touring and being on the road and i think tyler was volunteering on somebody's tour once as like a stagehand or something and one of the guys from nashville you know tyler told him like yeah my brother and i are thinking about starting a band and like you know we love playing we just don't know what that looks like and the guy like sent us a two-page paper of like kind of all of this information that we could use as a resource to like learn how to build an LLC and like oh, wow. if we wanted to be our own business, you know, aside from just being a band, what it would look like instead of just like playing for kicks, you know? And yeah. So we kind of learned like, oh, okay, well maybe if we start treating this like a business, we can maybe make some money and like invest it back into what we're doing so our van's not dying you know and like i can actually play a guitar that's not a hundred bucks yeah i think we just took some of that knowledge from from that guy so it was really cool to get that kind of when we did because that was pretty early on and i think we just kind of we've, we're still figuring it out you know but to have somebody kind of come alongside you and say yeah the music side's great but here's what it looks like to also treat it as a business. Totally. Which is huge. That's amazing that you guys had that, like, right off the bat. So many people, I, I, I think, even the ones that say, oh, I want to do music as a career, it's just like, well, do I have a gig this weekend? Yeah, yeah. Nope, guess not. Yeah. Maybe I'll try to get some more next month. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the fact that someone very early on in your career, like, laid it out, it's like, Mm-hmm. You want to do this? This is what you got to do. Yeah. That's a huge leg up. Yeah, because I think the mistake that we made early on was thinking like, oh, we need to just get signed by a record label. Right. And like, that's going to solve all our problems. Like, we won't have to worry about it anymore. They'll do it. Yeah. And the way that the world is now and the way the music industry is, you don't need a record label to be successful. I guess success is defined differently for each person, but for us, it's can we pay the bills? Can we do this full time? Can we, you know, get people to shows and make a difference and, and enjoy the job and like, yeah, there's hard days, even if it's what you love. But, um, for us to kind of have the say of when we want to tour and when we want to be able to release a record, you know, to a certain extent, we can kind of control that, which is nice, but not to say if a label didn't come along and it was right, that it could be good, but labels are looking for the groundwork to be laid already because they don't want to have to come in and start you from scratch. Totally. So if you can kind of create your own quote-unquote label in-house, it's a little bit more attractive, I think. Well, but like even if your end goal is to get signed by a label, you have to remember that a label is a business at the end of the day. Right. And they are looking for something that's going to pencil out for them. Oh, absolutely. And so you have to be able to demonstrate that you are a viable business plan for them. Yeah, you have to show that you're going to make money and that you're going to work, put the time in, and they're not going to want to be involved if they're seeing like no profit or yeah. no. Well, I think that's awesome that you guys realize that there's there's grit that has to go into it and it's not just about talent, which you guys are very talented. Thanks, man. But yeah, you also have that like that that Midwest work ethic. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of times that people you know instagram always looks really good right but there's a lot of times that we've played shows where it's just it's not good it's it's bombed or it's just been terrible or you don't feel good and so like your whole mindset shot and there's so many of those times where you wish that you could go back and change it but it takes it takes a lot of willingness to be okay failing and like screwing up so let's talk specifics about Early on in your career, what were some of the first real serious moves you guys made, either around or right after that first initial tour? Like when it was like, okay, we're going to hit the ground running. I think the biggest thing for us was we played as much as we could. Um, we played a lot of shows that we would never play now, but but we did that because you know they would pay 
but they would also give us a chance to like learn how to be in front of people on stage. And we played a lot of three to four hour bar gigs starting out, which really sucked. Like nobody should ever have to play that long. Yeah. But the money was okay. <laughs> yeah. So you basically have all of that time to just learn how to be in front of people and, and how, you know, Tyler talks a lot on stage more than I do. And, and he learns how to like work on his stage banter and just, you learn so many little things, I think from those really bad shows. And so we did a lot of those, but I think the biggest thing for us was when we started doing ticketed shows and it took a little bit of time because it's hard to ask people to come see you if they don't know who you are. But I think an important thing for us was when we would go to a new city, we play like, you know, a couple free shows for the first time in or like a showcase or, you know, a place that has like a $5 cover or something. And then people can come in and get to know you and your music. And then you do that a few times and then you go back and you, and you play like an actual venue with tickets, you know, and, and people are like, wait a sec if I want to go see these guys, I have to buy tickets. And then they invite their friends and then it kind of grows from there. It was like the McMinimins thing here, you know, a lot of free shows. And then we moved to like a theater and it's been really good to see that progress, but you got to do that everywhere and it takes time. But that was huge for us. Um, ticketed shows because you create demand, you create in people's minds that your art is worth something and that it should be, a show and it allows you to put on more of a display rather than just like sitting up in the corner of a bar. And so it's cool to, to go into that. Um, another thing was building our team. I think for a long time, for about five years, we booked our own shows and you can only do that for so long before the creative side starts to suffer. And so like bringing on somebody to help with that and help with like management stuff and, PR and like all those things take time and recording is important and I think there's so much more versatility now that people can make stuff in their bedrooms and they sound just as good but I think investing into your record and and to the music that's always going to come first before any live show or before anything else so we learned like okay if we want to make a good record we're probably gonna have to pay for it <laughs> really imagine yeah, that right can't just do garage band all the time or can you maybe our last record was on garage band you don't know iphone only iphone only voice memos yeah <laughs> yeah so those things were important to us because we realized in those moments like it will pay off but it's hard to see it in the moment and looking back it's been really cool because it's like oh yeah i'm really glad we did that because we wouldn't be here the first year or so that you really did this full-time you're still trying to get your your following but how many shows do you think you played within that first year oh man we i think we played 150 200 shows that's insane yeah and not all of them were good a lot of them were bad yeah but it got got us in front of people and it got us you know got your practice yeah yeah exactly so that was huge and we i mean we still play a lot of shows but we've been able to kind of scale that back a little bit one of the things that I think really applies to pursuing music is um, it's this concept of 10,000 hours. Idea popularized by Malcolm Gladwell. In fact, he uses the Beatles as an example of, you know, quickly being able to reach 10,000 hours. They only got to be where they were because they played this bar for like, what is it? Like eight hours every night. Oh, yeah. And so what I, what I hear you guys doing is like, even from an early on, you're getting those reps in. And so I, I think that really translates to when you, when you see a show you guys are doing now, you guys have a certain effortlessness on stage. Thanks, man. Yeah, and it comes with time, you know, rehearsing and, and just playing, you know, live. I think it's really cool because we basically, we, we haven't put in 10,000 hours. Um, it's probably... I think we tried to calculate that one day and, and we were like, <laughs> yeah, we're not there yet. But I think when you... But you're you're well on your way. Yeah, I think when you how, just take those opportunities, it's important. Do you know how many shows you've played total? Uh, we've played definitely over like 500 shows yeah. since we've started. I, don't, I would say, I think we tried to calculate. It was like, I think we've done like 4,500 hours or something like that. Mm. 
you know, then you're like, wait, does driving count? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay, if driving counts, then, then it's different. But I, it's really cool that you bring that up because that's definitely, uh, I think Macklemore was like the first, the first introduction for me into like the 10,000 hours thing. And I was like, all right. And then I researched it and I was like, yeah, this is really cool. Going back to kind of maybe halfway through your career, aside from playing shows, as many shows as you could, mm-hmm. What else did you do to set yourself up for success? Yeah, the touring vehicle is huge. We used to tour in a in a pickup truck, a four-door pickup truck with a trailer. Because, <laughs> you know, in Nebraska, yeah, right? That's just what you have. That's what we had. And and we toured around in that. And whoever rode in the back wanted to kill us. You know, and we'd each take turns. Like, I think it was one time I rode in the back and I was like, this is stupid. Like, let's get on Craigslist. We found like this old conversion van in St. Louis and Tyler and I drove down to pick it up. It was in pretty rough shape. Uh, We named her Goldie. And uh, it was like this gold, really low riding, old family conversion van, you know, it's like the fake leather seats inside and it was worn to hell, but it was, it was really uh, a big step for us because we're like, all right, now we have a van. Like we've saved up, we've spent a few thousand bucks on this thing and it's like, we're going to take this on the road. And man, we took it on the road for up until last year. We had it and it lasted us a long time. But I think looking the part is important, you know, and there's a fine line between like being a poser and like also being real with where you're at. Affording things that you can at the time is important, but also investing into like your future with things too. Like with the van thing for us, it was like, we probably could be fine if we didn't have it for a while but looking back it came at the right time and like we probably waited a little too long to get one but that was important too like you show up to a show feeling more rested if your vehicle is able to like allow for that rest definitely spent more on gas yeah (laughs) but uh but you sleep in the van on occasion yeah yeah now um you know we have a sprinter van and it's it's got bunks and stuff in it which is nice and that when we got that, which has been a huge blessing, that was a game changer for us because we really felt more rested and like you can stand up and put your pants on and like mm. we got a little kitchenette thing in there. You can like make your coffee with an AeroPress and nice. a refrigerator for groceries. You're not having to eat McDonald's every night. And so all those little things add up like taking care of yourself and your your mental health is important too. Like just staying healthy and it takes a little bit of investing into because it's easy to neglect those things when you're traveling like oh it's late let's go to taco bell taco bell's great i I don't see anything wrong with that you never see anything wrong with it for sure (laughs) yeah so it's like that's the that's the thing that i think sometimes we overlook is just taking care of ourselves it allows you to do the job better yeah that was one thing the vehicle thing instrumentation i mean man buying good gear like showing up to a venue and making their job easier mm. played a lot of a lot of places on a lot of shitty gear for a while yeah. and it like the sound guy just you can tell he wants to pull his hair out you guys show up to every gig completely prepared like as if you know even for a while you were bringing your own pa but like yeah. i know you have di's on your pedal board mm-hmm. you have extra cables yourself you have your own mic stands and mics if you need it yeah, it's huge. It goes a long ways. I think the, you know, who's who's ever working um, feels like you care. And so they get more excited about doing their job rather than just showing up and being like, hey, can we borrow this? Hey, we don't have this. Hey, we need this. We're like, over time, all right, let's get on Sweetwater or Reverb or whatever and find as much stuff as we need and make sure it's good quality, like investing into like good DIs and good mics and stuff. But yeah, it's it's nice to be able to show up with that and have people be like, oh, these guys care. You yeah. Because we do. We care about the show. When we started playing, we established for ourselves, like, this is how many shows that we want to play in a month. And like, this is how many we want to do in a week. And for us, it, starting out was like, okay, every Friday, Saturday. And then it was eventually Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Did you have any accountability to keep you guys on track for that? Or was it just we're going to set these goals and no, we're just we going just, to beat each other up if we don't hit them. Yeah. And man, Tyler and I used to share a lot more responsibility with like when we, when we were booking shows, we would each be booking and it was a pain because sometimes we'd like reach out and cross over to like a different 
different person at the same venue and be like, dude, I already have you booked. And it's like, oh, why are we both doing this? <laughs> and so like learning each other's roles and establishing like what you're good at, what you're not good at and being okay with being, you know, bad at something or like, that's not my skill set. So, you know, to the hand, to the best hands go to work. Yeah. Um, and for us starting out, that was kind of rough. Like we're brothers, you know, so we fight. It's like, no, I want to do this. Oh, you wrote a song? I'll write a better song. <laughs> or like, you know, no, I want to sing this song. No, no, no. You know, you can't do that. You can't do this. And we established like kind of this hierarchy of like, you know, we share a lot of the job responsibilities equally, but there's certain things Tyler does that I can't do as well or that he does in half the time and vice versa. And when you kind of like get past all of that, rivalry with it and like just set your ego aside you you start to like build something worthwhile and and make a difference with it because for a long time it was like you know when we were trying to play more shows and get out on the road we were exhausting ourselves by worrying about like the little things and i think when we decided okay we're all in like we're gonna do this this is important you know, providing for families or just the, that side of things too, realizing it's not just about you. It's about like the show and the people. It made it seem easier to digest that it was like bigger than us. Mm. So it wasn't like we need our name in the lights all the time. Like we need all this attention. We need all this stuff on us. It became more about serving and like taking care of your team and making sure that everybody has what they need to do their job. Um, because that's important as a leader or as a business owner, you should take care of your people. And that took a little bit of time for us to develop too, because we were stubborn and we just showed up to work and never pat each other on the back. Yeah. So, Well, can you share a little bit about how you have your operation set up and, and structured and who's got what roles? And Yeah. Um, Tyler, he's been a lot more on the creative side for a long time. I think starting out, it was kind of a joke when we flipped a coin He's like, hey man, I'll drive if you like book the shows. <laughs> so we're like, all right, cool. Like I'll sit in the passenger seat, book the shows and you drive. And over time it kind of developed into this, this normality of like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit more of the business stuff. You do a little bit more of the creative. Tyler handles a lot of, you know, the band um, coordinating. He's super good at music theory. He can read music well. I can't read music. He's, <laughs> you know, able to, work with people very well and kind of uh, stay really involved on social media and just, you know, at the show, he's the one that's that's talking on stage and like kind of leading things. And it's cool for me because I do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And then when I get to the venue, to the show, I get to kind of like step back and we switch places a little bit because where I'm kind of leading is more on the business side of like coordinating, okay, this is where we're going. This is who our contacts are. This is, you know, where we need to be. Um, kind of more like the tour managing side. But it's really cool to see those roles switch. And then we like, it's almost like one of us is working always, but, you know, depending on where we are with it, then. You've the got the day shift over. and he's got the night shift. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Um, but yeah, we started working with a booking agent, which has been great. That was two years ago. APA in New York and they've been awesome to us keeping us busy so that freed up my role a little bit to not have to worry about that fell into more coordinating and the bigger picture dreaming stuff Tyler's really good at like getting shit done right now like he's the day-to-day -day guy really good job at, at taking things and like eliminating a list in five seconds you know and I'm more like I could build the list to, uh, it's gonna take me a while to get to it <laughs> And so it's really cool for that. Um, we're in the process of like, you know, working with management and um, we worked with the publicist on the last record, which was really cool for us. Um, it helped us get some really cool press and some different attention on the record release that we didn't have in the past. But again, those things take investing into. And, and uh, I mean, it was the first time that we did it in seven years of playing, so... Uh, yeah, having a team is huge. It's definitely, you know, when we play with a band, it's fun too. As you know, like it takes time to find the right people and like people that you can be with on the road and 
be able to like have that mindset with everybody that you're all working towards a common goal with the music and with, you know, where you are and what you're doing is huge. And, you know, Tyler and I aren't perfect by any means. Like there's so many things that we fail at or we don't do right. I think it's cool that it all kind of comes full circle in that from our duo tours to the band tours, having somebody there regardless is nice to help you realize you're not crazy. You mentioned that you have an LLC set up. Yeah. Why? Yeah. If, if for, for someone who's like, yeah, we got a band, we just kind of, it's just like a thing we do, man. It's <laughs> like, a, it's just a democracy. Yeah. You know, Tell, walk us through like why you chose to set up an LLC and what have been some of the, the pros and cons of doing that. Uh, we set up an LLC because I think it's important to have the business side established um, in terms of like the finances and just know what you're doing and where the money is going and what you're able to invest back into. And for us, like, you know, Tyler and I are the owners of the LLC. And so it gives us the ability to outsource work and just like keep tabs on who we work with, you know, whether it's a hired gun or, or an agency or whatever, we have everything really organized from the LLC to, you know, bank accounts to, you know, taxes and all that. It, it helps us kind of see where everything's at in the big scope of things in order to move things and put things where it needs to be. I think we, we started it early on thinking like, okay, this is what we're supposed to do, but we didn't have any idea. Mm-hmm. what it looked like. We're like, okay, cool. We set up an LLC. Ooh, we're owners of an LLC. Awesome. All right. Now let's go play. You know? <laughs> and, uh, over time we're like, all right, so this is important, you know, tax write-offs or, you know, donations, or it really just comes down to like any business. You just want to see where your, your income is coming from and where your expenses are going. It helps you just build it better and like, oh man, we've eaten out way too many times. You'll find that come tax time. <laughs> like we do every year. It's like, did we really need to eat at that many hole-in-the-wall restaurants? Well, at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but our tax guy doesn't agree. <laughs> now, it, it, it may not be the right move for every musician out there, but like you guys found that when it came down to, we're going to take this seriously, we're gonna, it was just a means of, treating it like a business for you. Yeah. And keeping things organized, like organization is huge. Um, especially when there's so much going on and, you know, when you play all over the country and, and so many different places and you're selling merch, you know, on all these different states that have different tax amounts. And it's just, it can get really messy and confusing if you're not, if you don't pay attention to it, you can lose a lot of money, you know, and you can be careless with your with your spending. And I think we, we wanted to be very um, intentional with what we were spending our money on and, and being able to bring home more at the end of a tour. And so like the LLC gave us the ability to set all that up and see, you know, where we were careless or where we needed improvement. And um, it's been really cool to, to see that grow every year, but having, having the LLC in general for us, like as a business helps us also treat it more like a business. You know, we, we, we love playing music, you know, we, we would play every chance we get, but to know that like we're business owners puts a little bit more pressure on it yeah. and lets us say like, okay, this is a job, you know, it's yeah. something to be taken seriously. And even though you still have fun, it's important. So that was, that was huge for us. Again, like, I, I think it's great that you've used the term we're business owners so much. Yeah, it's like, I think you don't want to ever think about that as right. a creative person. Yeah. You know, Tyler, and he'll tell you this if he was sitting here, he, he hates it. You know, he hates the fact that there's marketing or that you have to do, you have to jump through these hoops of certain things and he just wants to create for the sake of creating, which is really good. But I think if you're only doing that, you miss out on um, the ability to reach more people or to keep things more structured or, or organized in order to build from that. But then again, if you're just thinking about it as a business and you're sacrificing the creative side and you're only making decisions because of a dollar sign or 
because you feel like somebody said that you had to, then you, you know, you neglect the creative side and that side suffers. So it's a, definitely a balance. And Tyler and I, I think, balance each other out with that. Um, he reminds me all the time, like, hey, this is just what feels right. Like, we just need to do this. And I think hopefully I would balance him out by saying like, you know, we also have to keep this in mind with like, you know, an article or like marketing or whatever. And so it takes both for sure. We definitely struggle with it though. I think everybody does who's creative. As an artist, you want your music or whatever you're making to just be authentic and to be true to who you are. And the world and the music industry definitely has these things that you feel like you have to do because it's the way it is and that might pull away from your personality or your ability to be unique or just do whatever the hell you want to do because it's what you want to do um so when we worked with our publicist we kind of learned a little bit more about that like oh this is kind of what we need to do and it was a little bit of a battle like you know figuring out like okay this is how it has to be brand you know, our brand is important, building your brand. Wait, we have a brand? Like, we're just, we're musicians, man. Yeah. Like, isn't that my brand? No, yeah. no, no. It comes down to like your logo and your look and your, you know, how your music f- sounds should be. Also how it appears like on your newsfeed, you know. So I think lining all those things up just takes time. We're still figuring it out, but business, man, business. What were some of the resources as you were developing the business side of things. There's a lot of stuff online. Like when we set up our LLC legal zoom or something like that, we, we like looked through some of their stuff to help out. And uh, it was super easy to like get it set up and get your tax ID and, and stuff like that. There was a lot of stuff online for booking. I think, I think we used this website for a while called Indie on the move. And it was like basically bands could go on and leave reviews of how terrible the venue was or how good it was (laughs) and so you'd have like the contact email for the the person there um that was cool uh Ari Herstan in LA he wrote a book called I think it's like the new music business or like you know basically how it looks now to to not have to rely upon like a record label for everything and um he has a lot of cool stuff online Ari's take probably the most important was just connecting with other artists and going out to shows and like seeing other people in action and play and, you know, meeting them and hearing their story. And like, I go to a show and I'm like instantly picking apart what pedal board is he using? Like, what's that guitar? Like, what's the gear that, that they have set up? And, and I think you, you can learn a lot from that too, but yeah, seeing other people's shows, you know, is is huge and just hearing how they got started or you know what they do and it challenges you I think as an artist to see that or you just feel inspired you know you go to a kick-ass show and you're like I want to go home and write a song you know so much online now you know and podcasts are becoming like a more important thing for us as we travel because we play music all day so it's like you don't want to listen to more music on in the van you know so each of us will have our earbuds in or whatever and, and normally it's a podcast or like an audiobook and absorbing knowledge there's a lot of good books there's a book donald passman wrote um about the music industry and like the business side that was really good i, w- I want to ask you a little more about this balance between well we just we write stuff from the heart versus like you know also having a brand mm-hmm. Because it wouldn't make sense if like all of a sudden you guys came out with a hip hop track as much as like you may like a random hip hop song. Yeah, man. You don't know what we're working on. No, I'm just (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Coming 2021. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's definitely a a balance for sure. You you have to write a song, I think, sometimes because you have to write it. Like as an artist or a songwriter, you feel like it's on your your chest. Like you got to get it off. So it's like, is that song worth putting on an album maybe but who determines that you know because as a creator you're thinking hey man i wrote this song i'm really in love with it it just means the world to me like you're so connected to it because it's something that you built 
that sometimes you can't see that it might not be the best song to put on your record as your single. And it sucks because you're like, yeah, but who determines that? So I think finding that balance is still tough, but I think we know when we write a song now, like, all right, this song could probably go on the record, but it's not going to be our first single, you know? And why is that? Oh, it doesn't have, you know, the ability to basically set you up for how the album's going to feel or the theme of the record or or maybe the song is too personal and so it's not going to have as much of a mass appeal and it sucks to think about all that stuff but at the end of the day you also have to be able to give it to somebody who can get it in front of people and there's a lot of songs people never hear just because some songs you just write for yourself you know it's a hard balance to write from your heart and then have to use your head. You know, I think first you first write from your heart and then you correct with your mind like later when you're just getting something out and just songwriting in general. I think it's important to just be okay with it, it being whatever it is and then go back and kind of, you know, adjust the chorus or fix the bridge or, or whatever. And we've gotten better at doing that with just being able to write. It's definitely something always in the back of your mind. Like you have to turn that voice off that says like, Oh, that chorus sucks. Or like, this isn't going to be a good song, you know, and be okay with that. What do you know about your audience? Uh, man, we, we have a lot of really great listeners that have always supported us from when we started to where we are now. Cause our music's changed a little bit from uh, just being in the Midwest, like our influences weren't as broad as they are now after having traveled and being based in the Northwest. I think it's important to know your demographic and it's important to be able to relate to them with your songwriting, but you don't want to confuse that with writing all of your music for somebody. You still want to be able to do that for yourself and then the right people will come along. And I think that took us some time, like, when we started playing, we were playing all these these bars where we'd have to play tons of covers and blues and just like old rock and classic rock. And so some of that took a while to kind of like leave our system as we moved and went on tour. We're like, I mean, we like that, but that, that's not what we want to play. And you kind of sacrifice a little bit of what you really want to do, I think, early on because you feel this pressure of like, I have to write for our fans or I have to make sure everybody's happy. They're only going to be happy when you're being authentic. And at the end of the day, they're going to want to hear something honest. And if, if your music's not honest, I think people can tell. So it's important for us to always try to keep in mind our demographic. You know, we have a pretty, pretty broad one of people that are 18, 19, 20, 21, up to people that are, you know, in their 60s, 70s. And, and I think a lot of that comes from what music that we like and what we started listening to, but also how we are now with our shows, you know, acoustic versus full band. And our records are normally not the same exact sound on every song. It changes a little bit from song to song because we like so many different styles. So I think that brings in a wider range of people too, but taking care of of your fans is huge, you know, staying involved in their life. If it's on social media or taking the time after a show, even though you're tired, you know, it's good to do because they bought a ticket yeah, or they bought your record or they're streaming you on Spotify. So the least you can do is say thank you or just, you know, the music for them is a huge payoff, but also knowing the artist is huge too. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed that you guys do super well is just how you connect with fans in person after shows. You give everyone the time of day and you give whoever you're talking to, who's at the front of the line, your complete attention, which is awesome. We try. It's hard. Well, and I think that's one of the things that, like, why you have so many people come back and see you is because they feel like they've built a connection with you. Yeah, and I think that connection is huge, you know, both ways, because at a show there's so much energy from the crowd and, and you have all of this like excitement and you're basically pouring yourself out for an hour on stage, you know, and people feel so connected to the songs that sometimes they feel like 
they're connected to you as a person and as an artist. And so to be able, I mean, I think about how I feel when I get to meet people that I've really admired or respected and you learn that like, oh, he's just a normal dude. But that song, man, it gets me. And I think there's something cool about that. So we always want to try to be intentional about that. But it's tough for sure to get to everybody and and you're worn out and, you know, it's that's why meet and greets are huge. And Or if you see somebody when you're just out and about, I think it's easy to just want to be a dick or, or just do your own thing, keep your head down. But sometimes that like three minutes can make a person's day and it reminds you too you know what you're doing is reaching people and it's really humbling for sure well i remember this one time i saw some some fans that have developed a little bit of relationship with you over time they printed out some t-shirts on their budget and they brought it to you and said that's right dude here's some shirts with your logo please sell them (laughs) yeah man that was in boise it was really cool um we've got some really cool stuff that people have like handmade or like, you know, a drawing or like there was a show we played this one time. This guy sat in the front and, uh, it was like a little listening room show. And after the show, he walked up to us and handed us this piece of paper and, and he had like sketched us on stage. Oh, wow. It was pretty cool. It's like stuff like that. I mean, that people are taking the time to do stuff like that. It really is the least that you can do to just thank them or just mm-hmm. say how much you appreciate it. It goes a long ways. Totally inspires loyalty. So that's what's going to get you over that that initial hump of like yeah. trying to get critical mass. Yeah, man. And you want people to to feel like they're part of what you're doing and and not just one-sided. I think that can be a hard thing when when you realize you have to give back. Because it can be tough, like as you're traveling and as you're tired and, and, you know, you're on tour and you're three quarters of the way through and you're not as quite as excited to see people because you're around people all day. And, yeah. But a lot of that just comes from taking care of yourself too. So that just goes back to like, you know, filling your own cup so that you can pour out. You guys played on a cruise called the Rock Boat. You guys were like the the newbies on the boat. Yeah, like the first time. There's big acts. It's like there's the plain white tees and uh, Andrew McMahon and mm-hmm. like all these these giant artists. And you're like near the bottom of the bill. Oh yeah, <laughs> kids from Nebraska don't know what the right? hell they're doing on the ocean. But being able to see like after the shows and during the meet and greets, you had longer lines than almost anyone on the boat. Man, that was super humbling. And I think a lot of it came down to what you what you're saying now is is we took the time to like pour into people and just part of it was probably from our first time there people wanting to meet us but i think we were like hey man this is you know we're on a boat with these people there's nowhere to escape you either become friends or foes (laughs) and uh we just thought we dove in that was a huge thing for us realizing that too you know taking the time and uh that was a little bit i mean that was only a year ago but we've learned a lot since then too well in, in in like that moment you see a line that there's like, you know, 30, 40 people in line. Mm-hmm. It would be easy just to be like, cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. And then like, you know, shuffling off to the next one, but still like giving everyone the time of day and like they're the most important person. Yeah, man. And, and it's the coolest thing to be able to meet people for the first time and then remember them when they come back and like everybody loves being remembered, you know, and it's such a, a huge thing to just invest that time and like, you know, we've seen those people all over the country because the rock boats, you know, it leaves from Florida, but those people live everywhere and some in different countries. And so it's like, you'll tr- be traveling. And I remember when we were in, uh, this Washington, DC, there's a huge amount of people that were on the rock boat at our DC show and remembering like most of them from that meet and greet or from seven days at sea was really cool. And for them to be like, oh my gosh, you remember me? It's like, I don't quite remember your name or like I remember your friend's name, but I don't remember your name. Remind me. That's, that's a really cool thing for somebody to receive. And I mean, I feel the same way when somebody remembers me. Okay. So wrapping things up a little bit, if there's a, an artist or a band out there that's just starting getting started, maybe they've recorded, they've put out a couple songs. They've maybe been playing around town a little bit. What would you recommend that they focus on for the next six months? Whether you have the ability to tour or not, you should be playing shows and 
you know, that's... that's how, how many a month would you shoot for? I would at least try every weekend starting out, you know, or, you know, if you could just play the weekends, maybe you're working a, a different job or something or do an open mic like a Monday or Tuesday, just any chance or opportunity to like get in front of people and learn how to just be in front of people. I think having a song or two or an EP or or even a full record recorded is good to have so that people can go find you online, set up an Instagram, a Twitter, a Facebook, stay active, like stay involved, like follow hashtags in, in the city or or wherever that you are so that you can learn about like what's happening locally and follow people that inspire you or that you are friends with or if your friends don't inspire you, unfollow them. <laughs> um, I think it's important just to to do the little things like that, you know, where you can just showcase your craft. Uh, you don't necessarily need to set up, you know, an LLC or a sole proprietorship or or a business, you know, but I, in the beginning, because I think what's important is just, you know, spend that money on like a good guitar or make sure you have a vehicle. You know, it's really hard to tour if if you have a bicycle, you know, or something <laughs> something that, that's not going to get you from point A to point B reliably. But if you can, you know, I think it's important to play outside of your hometown because you learn a little bit about, you know, drive four hours to Bend, Oregon or something, or, or drive to Boise and like just try an open mic there or try, you know, playing something. And I realize that involves spending money and it might be tough early on. Maybe if you're working a different job, it's hard with your schedule. But I think getting outside of your comfort zone and what's familiar is important early on because it makes you realize a little bit more about yourself in a different context or a different place. Just play as much as you can, even if it's three songs on a Monday night in a lineup of 10 people. At least you've gone out and done it, you know. And be okay not making, you know, a ton of money early on. It's hard. Um, you know, I, I think to play a show and not receive something in return. But what you receive in return is people that believe in your music and those people will eventually bring their friends and then eventually you'll be able to sell a ticket and then they'll buy tickets and then they'll buy your CDs and your t-shirts. Yeah, have good merch. Have creative merch. Stuff that you sell should feel like stuff that you'd wear or almost be a souvenir from your show because when you buy a vinyl or a t-shirt it's connecting you to that artist and it's yeah it's cool to listen to a cd but everybody uses spotify now but what can you have there that's something they can take home to remember how you sounded and how it feels to you know that's part of building your brand and something just to have for people to take home and and uh, remember you by well, Nick, thanks so much for coming and hanging out and uh, sharing a little bit of insight into what goes on behind the scenes for you guys. Uh, looking forward to seeing where you guys are going and hoping to catch up with you guys soon. Yeah, man. Thanks. Likewise. So that's it for my conversation today with Nick of the Talbot Brothers. Just real quick before we go, if you are working on new music and want to know how to better promote and release new songs, We'd love for you to check out our free half-hour workshop called Rock the Release. We're going to teach you everything you need to know about promoting your music for maximum results. So just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop to sign up for Rock the Release. But for now, that's it, and we will see you next time.